Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. You know what I've realized? I always thank you guys. But I don't check in on you enough. What I mean is I don't ask how you guys doing. So I want to apologize and I want to ask, how are you guys? This year is ending in a few days. How's your 2022 has been? I'd love to hear from you and all the things that happened to you this 2022 and your plans for 2023 as well. Please let me know how you guys are doing by reaching out on all the social media accounts we have. Our handle is at animgenslife. You can also email us at animgenslife at yahoo.com. I'd really, really love to hear from you. So please reach out and send me some cool messages and maybe your goals for 2023. Speaking of hearing, if you like listening to this podcast, why don't you go ahead and subscribe on YouTube and all the podcasting platforms. And while you're there, please give us a five-star rating as well as a cute and sweet review. It will help us so considerably and it wouldn't cost you anything at all. That's that. Now, let's talk about the episode. Our guest this week is a visual artist that uses the technology of the future to reach back to his culture's past. Immigrant Nation, I enjoyed this conversation so much. It felt like I was talking to a long-lost cousin, you know? In this conversation, we got dark, we got deep, and of course, we laughed a lot. And I hope you enjoy listening to this one as much as we're recording it. I'm rambling, so let's get to the point. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a designer, a photographer, and an illustrator. He's as brave as Hemchu and as creative as King Suryavarman II. Everyone, please welcome Sokai Trum. Hi, Dima man. I'm good. How are you? Good. How's your day? Day's been uh, so far so good. You know, it's been busy trying to wrap up some some work stuff before for the holidays, but can't complain. Mm, of course, you gotta stay grateful. Absolutely. By the way, I practice this. You tell me if it's wrong. Chum rip suwo bongsakai. That that yeah, that is really good. It's a chum rip suwo, but it 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 totally understood it. That's really awesome. Thank you, and Akun for coming on the podcast. Oh, of course. No, thank you for having me. Before we continue, please tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything. Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me on Instagram. It's at Sokayun, S-O-K-A-I-Y-O-O-N. Uh, from there, you can go to some of the the LinkedIn, I mean, the the link tree. It connects you to my LinkedIn as well as my Discord server. But that, but Instagram is the, the main way you can uh, contact me. Mm. Before we recorded, I thought your name was Sokayun and you said that's your artist name. Is there a meaning to that name or is there a history? Yeah, so uh, Yoon 
Yuan in Cambodian means uh, Vietnamese, so it, it's just a play on my Vietnamese last name because there's a there's like some tensions in the Cambodian community of identifying as Khmer Krom. Khmer Krom are indigenous Cambodians that live in uh, the southern part of Vietnam, uh, so that that is me. And it's also to honor a good friend of mine who's Korean. His last name is Yoon. He passed away four years ago. So it's a, a way to kind of like tie in his uh, his uh, his memory. Oh, rest in peace. Your last name you said is Vietnamese, but you're Cambodian. Is there is your parent is your dad Vietnamese or? No, they're they're all Cambodian. Um, so Khmer Krom, that there's the the southern part of Vietnam, you know, that kind of entails like Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon. A uh, long time ago, was a part of part of Cambodian mm. Cambodian land, and due to like just poor politics in um, just just a, a summarized version is due to poor politics on the Cambodian side, they allowed um, Vietnamese merchants to kind of establish a um, a trading hub in um, Prenakor, which is now modern day Ho Chi Minh City, and the Vietnamese keep flooding in, flooding in, flooding in, overpopulated that particular city to a point where. Um, Due to poor, you know, poor, poor politics, uh, Vietnam annexed that part of uh, Cambodia into Vietnam. So there was like millions of Cambodians that have been displaced by this uh, annexation, mm -hmm. and so for for them to live in, in you know in Vietnam, they had to adopt Vietnamese names and Vietnamese language. So it's kind of like uh, Vietnamize, you know, their themselves. Mm. Do you get prejudiced by Cambodians because you have a Vietnamese last name? Oh yeah. Um, growing up, especially here in America during the '90s, you know the fact that we do have a Vietnamese name and that my, and my parents can speak Vietnamese as well. Um, we uh, we usually get um, ostracized by the the mainland Cambodians, and so it, it gets to a point where here in the city of Atlanta we have like three temples. One there's like a main Cambodian temple. There's a temple for Khmer Krom people, and there's another temple just for the sake of convenience because it's like way further south. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you go to? I go to I go to two. I go to the Kamakara one. And I go to the main one. It's um like the the, the tensions have kind of eased over time, you know, between mm -hmm. Kamakara and mainland Cambodians, especially in the city of Atlanta. Um, it's just it's just the old the older generation who kind of held on to like these mm -hmm. identity politics, while my generation, the younger generation, we just identify as as Cambodian. Mm -hmm. The line is, "You're not Cambodian enough." Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's so uh, tough. Very, very. Not only that, I was born in Thailand. So oh. <laughs> my God. You're not one of them. I'm I'm, I'm neither one. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the, the intersectionality crisis happened really, really early for me. Oh man. Yeah, I read that you are a refugee baby. I am refugee baby. My mom uh popped me out of a bamboo thatch, you know, in, in a camp. So you know, while a lot of the other kids you know, had like medical equipment, they had like smooth, you know, smooth transitions. Mine was a really rough one, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> hey, that's what matters, right? Yes, sir. Yep. <laughs> Obviously, there's a war. That's why she was a refugee, your mom. What war was happening back then? So in like the early, late 60s, early 70s, it was the like the Cambodian Civil War that led to the Khmer Rouge uh, taking mm -hmm. power in the Khmer Rouge. They wanted to convert Cambodia into a communist, um, a communist government. So they they went on a, I would say it's like a genocidal rampage. But mm. they started killing off like 
people that were educated, creatives, entertainers, um, like influencers, people who are trying to avant-garde Cambodian culture during that time. Mm -hmm. And so my mom, she had to escape. And so she fled to parts of Vietnam, a part of Vietnam. And that's when the, Viet the Vietnam War started brewing up and tensions between Cambodia and Vietnam was also brewing up. So a lot of the Cambodians in that part of Vietnam escaped to go towards um, the refugee camps in Thailand. Mm. Where was dad? He lived in, um, it's called Klang. Uh, that's the, that's the Cambodian name for it, but uh, he lived in Vietnam. Called he lived in a city called Sok Chang. When your mom was being a refugee, where is he? Oh no, she she, did, she didn't meet my dad until she she went to Vietnam. Okay, but yes, she got she needed to get pregnant first. Yeah. So the thing was during that time, a lot of a lot of Cambodian couples they didn't marry out of love they married to survive so oh. when she escapes fighting she's now she's actually from she's from proper cambodia she was fighting and when she escaped to go to sokjang you know she found someone there and when they're by the escape she just clink cling on to who is my dad and yeah they they got into cambodia um kind of like try to survive through there and then move towards like the refugee camps and mm. got pregnant on the way how old your mom was then uh, she was like 19. She was really oh young. Oh my God, what a beast. Yeah, 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 it was uh, it was tough. Um, before that, she had, she, she had my brother already. So uh, that was like three years um, before I was born. So how many siblings do you have? I only have one, but okay. um, but he, he passed away in like 1990, 1997. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. It's okay. Stuff happens. Yeah, I read that too, that um, if it wasn't for his death, you would have probably been in jail or dead as well. Yeah, um, growing up in Atlanta, so a lot of a lot of Cambodians during during this time when they fled to the United States or sought, sought asylum in the United States, most mm -hmm. of them moved to either Tacoma, Washington, Long Beach, Lower Massachusetts, or uh, New York City. But there was a, a couple of us that moved to city of Atlanta, which is like a weird place for a Cambodian to be or to grow up. <laughs> but um, yeah, during that time, like in the uh, late eighties, excuse me, early nineties, there's a lot of racial tension, you know, between the blacks and whites. So a lot of the Cambodians we move on the east side of the interstate, uh, I seventy five, oh Jonesboro South, majority black. So we moved in there. Um, they weren't, they didn't know, you know, they didn't know who we were or they, they couldn't identify who we, who we were. So, um, they, they weren't technically racist. They're just, they were like verbally, you know, they just like verbally make fun of us, you know, but they weren't, they weren't physical. And so, uh, we actually moved out of there because of the crime rate in general. Then it wasn't like you know, towards us. It was just the crime rate in general in that area was so high mm -hmm. that, um, my parents kind of feared living there. So we moved towards the other opposite side which is Hapeville with a P, H-A-P-E-V-I-L-L-E. -E, and it's the home to the first 24-hour Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so we moved there, but it was like majority white, you know, very, very zealous Christian. We lived under the Bible belt. Now they were really, really physical with us. You know, they, um, a lot of the kids, they abused us. They threw, threw rocks at us. They Ooh. Called us all sorts of names. Yeah, it was a tough time. That's when a lot of the Cambodian kids we banded together to kind of protect our um, protect ourselves hmm. and um, make sure that you know we were able to just you know live a proper proper childhood. And then one day, um, one of the one of the kids, the white kids, they got 
they got sexually physical, you know, with one of our friend's sisters. And that's when things just start popping off. And we got to like a huge brawl, huge fight. Um, my brother and I, we got severely hurt. And that's when my mom moved us, you know, like, no, we can't be here. So we moved further south towards Clayton County, which is about 10, 10 miles south of south of Atlanta, where we lived. And that's when, you know, the racial tensions died down for sure. Clayton County was um, majority white, but now it's like majority black. And since we don't have any more problems now, it's just Cambodian Cambodian people within our whole group, you know, our whole, this, this great gang that we built up, you know, they just got power hungry. They started, you know, having a power trip. And so they were trying to find ways to oust some of the more stronger contenders in the group, which happened to be my, one my brother. And that's when they found out that we were Khmer Krom. And that's how they started um, segregating all the Khmer Krom kids from this group. And so we got ousted and we separated. We started our own gang um, called the Rascals, which is in, associated with the Tiny Rascals and, and, um, in, the, in the West Coast. And so they started their own gang. Uh, the, the mainland Khmer started their own gang called the Bloods. But for some reason, there's two blood gangs within that group, and they start beefing with each other for for some reason. It was really weird, but um, yeah. So we were, we were in that gang life for for a little bit. My brother, he was he he felt invincible, you know, like he mm. he was like he was a fighter. I wasn't. I was more of just um lay low, just following my my brother's footsteps. He got into some really really shady stuff, dealing with drugs, money, stuff like that, mm. and yeah, it, it got to a point where there was like huge tensions between um some of some of the rival gangs and yeah and he got murdered he was killed by another cambodian person so it was um it's always devastating for especially for me and when you know my mom doing her best working two jobs trying to you know take care of us now she's down to one to one kid and it got to a point where you know like the neighborhood we lived in was so rough you know, my mom was like, you know, every time me and my brother go go outside, she automatically assumed we were dead until we came back. You know, that was her that was her thinking, you know. Um, but now one of you know, one of them is gone. And I was following his footsteps, you know, like just being part of the gang. Uh, I was a runner, meaning I would transport money and drugs because I was so like I, I, I would say I was nerdy, but I didn't fit like the whole gang profile. I don't have any tattoos. Mm. Uh, my brother's like, don't get any tattoos. Just look like that. So you can go like under the radar to these, uh, to these particular places. Mm. And to this very day, I still don't have any tattoos, you know? So, um, but if it wasn't, it's, it's, like, it's kind of like a cruel destiny. If he, if he didn't pass, I would have followed his footsteps and I would have um, started dealing drugs myself and up in jail or would have been ousted by one of my rivals. But I got out of that really quickly because I realized at his, at his funeral, none of his, none of his friends, none, you know, none of the people in his gang even showed up to his funeral. What? Yeah, and it's like, and I just saw it as like, you know, I thought you know, this gang was family, but just, just that, I started realizing like they're just a whole bunch of phonies. Like they didn't really respect my brother like that. They wanted power too, and I started realizing like, what's up with this like power trip within um within our community, and yeah, so you know, I, I went out. So I got out of it. My mom, she's a aspiring photojournalist. She she didn't become a photographer, but she was an aspiring photojournalist. And she had a camera that she kept with her that she hid throughout this entire time because 
she thought one day she would be able to pursue photography in the United States, but she didn't get that chance. Mm. Gave me her, you know, it was a manual film camera, the Canon FTB. She taught me how to use it, you know, like roll a film, you got to crank it every time to get an exposure. You get 24 to 36 exposures. Um, and she she turned one of our closets to a dark room. And yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. She taught me how to use the camera and that's what I started doing. But photography got expensive for her because, you know, <laughs> Like, like all these films that she used to to have, you know, back back home, it was like accessible. It was cheap, hmm. but like a Fuji Astia, like fifty or one hundred, it's like nine bucks for, a, for, for you know for for a canister. <laughs> and she taught me how to use like Sprinter and Developer, and those were like you know thirty bucks like per gallon. So um, it got to a point where as I got older, my mom invested, she saved some money to buy me like, a digital camera. It's like 1.5 megapixels, high tech at the time. You know? oh, yeah, like it takes you like five minutes to process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like 32 megabyte memory card. You know, mm. it was it was like a Hewlett Packard. And it came with the grand, uh, great grand uncle of Adobe Photoshop, which is Adobe Photo Deluxe. And that's when I started getting into design. Mm. Like making photos, you know, making basic for like birthday cards and stuff for my mom. Uh -huh. And then that's how I got into design. And then at school, you know, middle school, I joined the yearbook club and then I joined Technology Student Association because they had access to like the Adobe. Uh, it, it was called Creative Suite at the time. It was just, you know, it was just Adobe Photoshop 7. It was in CS or like like CS 22 or 23. Um, and I just became good at it. And yeah, yeah one of my first like national competition. And like, yeah, I feel like design is what I, what I wanted to do. That's amazing. Where did mom learn how to take pictures and uh, develop them? Her friend, um, um, bless her soul, she passed away. She was killed. During um, during the genocide, but you know she was she came from a more wealthier family, and her family they um did a lot of trading, and so they had a they had like a palette of like just cameras and film, and so the sister was able to take one, and she's like um not not sister I'm sorry her friend you know took one, and she's like really close friends with my mom, and she saw that you know photography like she kept taking pictures of my mom because you know my mom was beautiful, hmm. and my mom was like I want to take pictures too like teach me and then. She started teaching her, and then for her 14th birthday, she gave her a camera of her own, which was the FTB, and that's what that's the one that she kept. And um, but she was able to take photos and develop it with her, but she's had to, you know, she she wasn't able to recover any of her film that she she took. Mm -hmm. So um, that's that's how she started. She was a, she she wanted to be a photographer, but because of the war and stuff, she was she had to like cut that like really short. Mm -hmm. Before mom moved or escaped the Khmer Rouge, uh, how was their social economic life? Uh, well, my mom, she's she was a farmer. My dad was a farmer too. They lived in, lived in the countryside. Uh, Sfaiding is like about 40, 40 minutes away from the Vietnamese border mm -hmm. on on in, in, on the eastern side. Um, but she loved it, you know. She heard the water buffaloes. That was, that was her thing uh, as as a kid. And um, my dad. He was you know, he was a like a Buddhist monk. He was at a temple. Um, they're, Wait, they're, they cannot, they're allowed to get married. Uh, well, once he left the temple, yes. <laughs> uh. But during that time, I, he he was a monk. Um, only only because they it was the only place where he could learn how to like learn how to read and write. Because mm. um, my mom, she can she can speak uh, Khmer, but she's she's not able, she's not able to write it. 
Um, so she, yeah, she came from a really like, um, like a, a very rural family, like Harding Water Buffaloes raising green peppers with her father. Mm-hmm. And my, and my dad was a, was a monk. So their socioeconomic life was, it, it wasn't that great. Um, but it gave them like, unfortunately for the people in the city, you know, like the Khmer Rouge didn't come, didn't hit these cities until uh, like later on. Mm-hmm. So we referenced Khmer Rouge. I, I did a deep dive on them because. No. In the Philippines, when I was, you know, going through school, that's all we talk about. That's it. Like maybe like one page, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt like, oh, I should learn more. And so obviously, Khmer Rouge took over Cambodia. What for four years? Yeah, about four, four or five years. Yeah, um, and just decided to like, you know, free what start to zero, as they say. Year zero. Yeah. Before that, it was a lot of strife between. Um, like a U.S. backed uh, political government by General Longnal, that's he was fighting the Khmer Rouge. We also have King Si Hanuk, who had they had loyalists, you know, so like just like three parties trying to like take power over hmm. over Cambodia. But um, the the bombings that you know the U.S. Um, you know um, Operation Menu and there's Operation the Freedom Deal, they they dropped a, a crap load of bombs on the on the eastern border of Cambodia. And also that's why my mom had to leave because. They bombed her village, and my mom lost like most of her family through through the bombing. She only has like three surviving sisters now, Ooh. and um, and so so my mom hated like the U.S. for forgetting <laughs> that. You know, a, a lot of a lot of people who who were hit by the bombs were they they, they hated that uh, for doing that. Then that, that's when the Khmer Rouge saw like, oh, the U.S. bombed our country, you know, and they're backed by you know Lanol, and that's how a lot of uh, traction happened within the Khmer Rouge. They used that as a as a friction point for them to like um, get more people to rally more people, hmm. and um, and yeah, that's how they, they came into power. They just like took took put on pain by storm, and yeah, four 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 to five years of um of uh the the Ankar as they call it. Mm. Is there still Khmer Rouge? Is it? Are they still like? Is there a group still uh, alive? I hope not, <laughs> um, but they they were. They, they, there were remnants of the Khmer Rouge up until like 1999. So it was, so it's it pretty, it was pretty recent. But mm-hmm. um, like Pol Pot, he passed away in '96, and um, there were still people who still believed in the Khmer Rouge during that time. But um, Khmer Rouge kind of like lost complete power like during 1999. So I, there's, there's, I mean, there, we we've got and whatnot of you know of what happened, but at the same time, like Cambodia's in a place where they just want to move forward and like they're ready to heal and you know get mm. back to where where they started. Mm. How's Cambodia now politically? Is it more stable now or still the usual? Uh, it's a little, it's a little bit more stable. Um, I'm pretty sure that, you know the, the politics in Southeast Asia. It's uh, I, I'm not I'm not familiar with it compared to the United States, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of economic growth. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of like ex- like other nations coming in, you know, supporting Cambodia, build, you know, building, um, helping them with infrastructure and whatnot. Because when I traveled to Cambodia in '96 to go to go to my mom's village, this was, I mean, the Khmer Rouge was still in power, but there's like dirt roads, bridges were still destroyed. So I had to take two ferries to get to my mom's village, you know? So what should have been a six hour drive was like a day and a half trek, you know? Oh my like God. But yeah, but now like the roads are, are way better and we can get there within like 
four to four four and a half hours mm-hmm. you know by by car but back then it was um it was really rough but <laughs> yeah Cambodia now it's yeah uh, there it's been uh, like 30 40 years of just like slow slow growth but now we're we're picking we're picking back up so mm-hmm. it's um uh, stable stable yes but the election is is coming up in may i have no idea what's what's going on because i think Hun Sen is stepping down um so there is a lot of tension happening with like mm-hmm. the other um, political parties which i i, I try not to, to, to dive into much but uh but people so far have you know have seen Cambodia as like uh, a peaceful place to live now that's good because we just we just had our uh, election in the philippines last year and you know it's like we voted Pol Pot's son oh wow yeah wow okay I mean, um, of course, the the father who's uh, Marcus, the original. Yeah. I mean, he didn't kill like thousand like Pol Pot, but he killed a lot. Killed a lot, yeah. Or uh, any, anyone who like went against him. And yeah, anyone. You know how it is. You know, like oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sokai, you're uh, you're not believing in me. Guess what? You're dead. You know. Uh, and then <laughs> obviously he passed away. He has this son that has mm-hmm. been knocking on the door for since his dad passed away and. Mm. To be honest, growing up in the Philippines, I knew it's it wasn't if it's gonna be when. And that when was last year. And he won. It was like wow. landslide too. Landslide, yeah. I was like, guys, it was like nineteen eighty six when we kicked them out. There's people alive that could say, Oh, by the way, I was tortured by these people. And wow. that's what it is now, you know? It's um it's 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 not too it's not too uh different from from your political like strife in, in the Philippines because uh I think Han Sen used to be part of the Khmer Rouge. He's like a prime minister now. I don't know anything, I don't know too much about his politics, but mm. he's stepping down and his son's taking over. So <laughs> <laughs> they never let go. They, they never, never let go. They'll never let go of that power, you know. But so it's kind of like um like you can live peacefully as long as you don't say anything bad about us, that kind of thing. Yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I watched one of your IG live and you guys talk about the subject Cambodians are black people of Asia, which is weird because the, I heard that too about Filipinos. Philippines, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's uh, I feel like it, it's it's so it, it's it, I would say it's weird, but it's um, there's like some humor into it because like growing up here in in Atlanta, like you know we're people people are familiar with like you know filipinos and and, and the Cambodian people so, so someone's like hey are you are you Khmer? It's like no oh you got to be filipino then <laughs> you know well <laughs> <laughs> are you filipino oh you got to be Khmer then it's like, like vice versa oh but, so uh, it's either filipino or Khmer. yeah because well, i mean there, there's a lot of like like similar features that you know that, mm-hmm. that we share um but it's the fact that you know a lot of us, a lot of the Khmer people, we grew up in majority. Well, I can only speak for the city, uh, for Atlanta, but we grew up in a majority like black community, mm-hmm. and there were really, especially like in the '90s, like after we left Hateville, um, the black community was really welcoming towards us, you know, um, and so we became, you know, they they welcomed us and you know they supported us and you know we we party a lot, like we're, we're pretty much like like family and. Mm-hmm. And when we realized they love Hennessy as much as we do, you know, <laughs> it was like overnight, overnight family, you know. But um, there's a there's a growing Filipino community here too, and there's one thing we like to do is like uh, Khmer uh, Khmer folks, Filipinos, like 
They love to DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, we love to sing karaoke. <laughs> you know, um, you know, we love playing basketball, and you know, and we we are really like tied to our cultural roots, and I think that's what mm-hmm. kind of defines. Um, that's what kind of like kind of what bonds. Cambodians and Filipinos, you know, especially here in Atlanta together, because uh, I didn't know like Kamaya and Tagalog means hand, you know. Um, so there's like a, a lot of words that um, I mean, there's a lot of things that we share. But yeah, we it's just because a lot of Cambodian folks, you know, we're like brown skin, like a little bit more darker on the darker side. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they saw us like as the blacks of Asia, the way we talk and our mannerisms, you know, um, are like growing up, like listening to hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. they, like a lot of it, they, they viewed us as like I'd be ghetto Asians, unfortunately, but, um, it, it, it didn't really, it didn't really bother us because we, um, like, you know, being immigrants in, in the United States, we just wanted to be accepted. And mm. me growing up, I wasn't accepted by my own community at all because of me being Kamakaram. So a lot of the Cambodian people that were outcasted as well as the Filipinos that were outcasted from their communities, you know, we hung out with, um, the black community and it kind mm. of like brought us in and treated us like family. And so, yeah, most of our mannerisms are, are like that, but yeah, it's a, um, you go, you go to the, you know, you go to the West coast as well. Um, you'll start seeing similarities of like Filipinos and Cambodians, like in terms of like their mannerisms and like how, how they grew up, you know, like we, we grew up in, I'll say like, we didn't grow, we grew up in poverty. We we're hard workers. Um, we do our best to, you know, we have like the survival mentality. We do our best. We're like really resilient people. Mm. And I, I feel like that, we, 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 we all share that connection. And so therefore I feel like, um, even when I go to the Bay area, like, oh, he, he's gotta be Kamai. And then they start speaking Tagalog, like I knew it, you know, it's just, it's either or, you know, so, uh, so I think that, I think that's where that, that stereotype comes from, from, yeah. from my point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I see. I completely see that. I mean, if I see you in the street, you're walking, I'm like, this is Filipino. This guy is Filipino. I can <laughs> yeah. smell him. You know what I mean? Unless you do something like a mannerism that like off, I'm like, okay, yeah. then I'll be like, okay, he's not. But most of the time, like, okay, this guy, he looks like my people. And then sometimes, then I'll figure out like, oh, he's Cambodian. Ah, he's still my people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? We're still brown. Yeah. yeah. We're all we're from Southeast, Southeast Asia, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it was funny because one time uh, my, uh, my wife has a coworker and she's Cambodian. Uh-huh. And I saw her, I'm like, man, she's Filipina. Definitely <laughs> Filipina. There's no way. And then she starts uh, speaking French, like fluent. I'm like, oh no, she is not Filipino. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Cambodia was like a French a colony at some point, and so a lot of the um, city people like learned French. My mom, my mom knows French too. So mm. yeah, she still speaks it a little bit, but not as much. Not not, not as much as her sisters. Mm. She's um, ever, ever since growing up here and needing to know, needing to learn English, mm-hmm. like she speaks more more English. Um, uh, now, did they force uh, Cambodians to speak French? The French colonizers, uh, only in the city, because you know, like a lot of the universities, even even to this day, there's a lot of, like even the the creative schools or the art schools is like French French operated still. Mm-hmm. But um, like you want to go to school, like you want to get access to some of the best education, there were mostly like French professors. So mm-hmm. learning French was a um during that time was almost like a necessity to kind of like navigate um, or scale in, in the city. And there was, um, I'll say programs, but a lot of Cambodians, like well-off Cambodians would travel to like travel to France and mm. like learn over there. And that's where they would learn French as well. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. That's one thing with the Philippines, cause we're colonized by Spain, but they never taught us Spanish. Yeah. It's uh, 
Yeah, it, I I heard, and not only that, like um, I don't know if, I don't know if you're into like the Khmer Rouge military, but there's um, we had a we had a Filipino general that's that served under the Khmer military. No I, way. I I forgot his name though, um, but now nah, he was like he was like a, he was a high ranking officer. Um, what was he doing there? I have no idea. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Filipinos are all over the place, huh? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> going back to like Cambodian history, like I don't know too much about it, but just reading some like reading some of the blurbs, uh, especially during I forgot which era. It was like in the early 1800s. Um, the one of the Cambodian kings wanted to Christianize the Cambodian, like the Cambodian nation, mm-hmm. and he allowed um, the Spaniards um, to, you know, to come in and do their, you know, do what they need to do. And that's when the Spaniards brought, brought more Filipinos, you know, into Cambodia. And oh. there was like this um, Cambodian Spanish civil war that happened, and the Filipinos were like they, they fought against us uh, because, you know, because of because of the Spaniards. But um, yeah, it's it really interesting how like this this mix of uh, like this mix of of people that grew up in Cambodia that you'll never think of. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's really, I'm pretty sure there's like a small like, budding Filipino population in Cambodia somewhere. Oh, definitely. Also, e- even like languages. I don't know much about um, Cambodian language or Khmer, but mm-hmm. Bong is like to show respect, right? Yeah, Bong is something, yeah, it's pretty much like um, someone you would call like that's older than you uh, mm-hmm. out of respect, yes. Yeah. I have an uncle we call him Bong. Oh wow! But his name is not Bong. Like he, that's we always been calling him Bong. I don't know why. His name is I forgot his name. Like whatever something Spanish, but mm-hmm. we call him Bong. That's why when I read about the Bong word, I'm like, whoa, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like it's. I feel like in Southeast Asia, there's like this these identifiers of like uh, you have like um, like Ninong, you know, you know, or like Ninong for us is Ming. Um and uh Cooney, you know, I think I think Cooney is like Bong, the equivalent of Bong. Mm. Um, so it's uh it's really interesting to to hear how um uh, uh how our cultures like show respect to to our elders. But for me, like I, I I'm not as traditional as my parents. So if there's an older person that doesn't respect me or like does not or just like they scolds me or like patronize me all the time. I would always call them by their first name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never call them like Bong or Boo. Like, hey Richard, how are you doing? You know. So um, it's just it's just so like the the talks the the generational traumas of our parents. You know, mm. they it 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 got converted into like generational trauma, and as we as kids we dealt with that, and you know they did they they thought that um like rearing rearing us as they would in Cambodia would work as, you know, as we lived in America, but totally, totally does not work at all. You know, like American culture is so much different from Cambodian culture. So a lot of their traditions and social mores did not properly translate for us, you know, as we grew up in America. Hmm. And so as we're dealing with their generational trauma, we had generational trauma of our own that, you know, that we're building up from like racism, bullying, uh, dealing with, um, other ethnic groups because i don't know if you know during that time with the Cambodian civil war following that you have the vietnamese civil war then following that you had like the the laotian civil war and so there's like so many civil wars happening within these in southeast asia that a lot of ethnic groups did not trust each other you know and so for for me and my generation our parents told us like oh don't trust the vietnamese don't trust thai people don't trust uh, like you know the lao people you know like because there's like so many so many atrocities that that happen between each mm. ethnic groups during these wars. That's where that that thinking comes from. But 
a lot of us, you know, a lot of us growing up, we didn't, we didn't know why they, they, they would say that, you know, mm-hmm. because we didn't, we didn't learn that in, in history class. But as we get older, you know, we didn't really care. Like, this person's cool. We just want to hang out. Mm-hmm. And they treat us like family, treat us like brothers. And therefore, you know, that, that stigma like, is broken with our, with our generation. But it's just the fact that our parents always wants to be like, proper Cambodians like oh like act more Cambodian act you know act this but they never show us they never teach us yeah. like my, what, does, my, what do they mean when proper Cambodian that I see I still do not know to this day <laughs> you know I I remember my dad once told me that I wish you would act more like a Cambodian man I was like I would act like a Cambodian man if you would show me you know but he never showed me and so um so a lot of a lot of people in my generation, you know, we grew up when well, my, my father was in the picture as much. And that, that was like a, a common theme amongst like, uh, Cambodian sons. Mm. So a lot of it, we have to like, kind of like raise ourselves or kind of like define what being a Cambodian man is to us, you know? And so, um, so yeah, it, it gets to a point where a lot of, a lot of Cambodian kids, especially like me, we, as we grew up, we kind of find, I want to say it's like, like what's so what's so good about being Khmer? You know, like mm. our parents, like they drunk a lot. Sometimes they were abusive, and go through what I went through. I was ousted by the main Cambodian community. I, mm. I, I was accepting the Vietnamese community. Like, then what am I? You know. So it was. It was. There's a lot of Cambodian people in in America who who thought you know who had the same sentiments I did growing up. You know, they they mm. didn't they weren't able to associate with their identity as much, and so um, especially like during COVID, especially like like platforms like yours um just instagram a lot of kids are now they're able to reclaim their identity without having by, by detaching themselves from their local community because mm. you know, a lot of us they didn't get a chance to travel and so we always thought oh Khmer Khmer culture is pretty much defined by our local community and that's what we thought all other Khmer communities are like but then when you start traveling to these different places these different conclaves it's it's totally different. Like their mannerisms are different. How they grew up is different. It is. It just. It just. It made me more. Like it piqued my in my interest. In, like I want to learn more about you know Cambodians in Long Beach or Cambodians in, you know in Philadelphia, and and how they were raised. And so it, it got it got me thinking about. Oh, my people are different everywhere. You know, outside of Cambodia, and now with Cambodia, you know, back you know back on, with economic growth and kind of like. Going, going back on a path of redefining our arts and culture, you know, they're going on a different wave compared to what the Khmer Americans are doing. Like, it's super, it's beautiful to see how we as the Khmer diaspora are shaping Cambodian culture outside of Cambodia, while Cambodians in Cambodia are shaping culture, you know, based on, you know, just, just, just based there. And at some point, you know, it's going to be beautiful when we all are able to come together and kind of combine and you know, create like a, a a stronger a stronger foundation for you know Cambodians around the world. But I know I'm going off on a tangent. No, no, uh, it's um, but yeah, it's it's really weird how it took the internet for a lot of us to realize like oh, like my toxicity just came from my parents and and the local community, but there's other there's other Cambodians who are who are going through the same thing, and we have this we have the power now to kind of like redefine like community for for us you know mm, definitely yeah. i like what you said that, that cambodian people that are in cambodia are you know pushing through and improving the culture and then there's cambodian people from atlanta and then long beach and whatever like it's like 
because your parents, Cambodian parents, they when they moved to Atlanta, they were stuck in their mind this specific Cambodia. Yes. So they're like a time machine, right? Yep. And they have this seed, and it grows and beca- becomes you and future people, future Khmer people. And then they, you, with the culture of Atlanta and the Khmer people, it'll be a different Khmer, right? Yep. And then the Long Beach. That's yes. why I, I, I was. I was like, ah, yeah, man, that was cool what you're saying. Yeah, and, um, and what's, what's beautiful about it, I think it's like a, a Southeast Asian thing, you know. Um, like the Filipino community here is in Atlanta is like super different from like the Filipino community in like Daly City, you know, even though Daly City is like, to me, it's like the, the, the main conclaves for, for, for um, you know, Filipino community. Hmm. Um, but it's just, it's so interesting to see how, how that particular locale shapes, you know, the their their culture but in Atlanta like how you know it shapes shapes our culture you know so like mm. there's a one of my friends who's like Filip, you know Filipino die hard like die hard like Atlanta Hawks fan compared to like over there it's like they're all golden state you know all dubs yes and so it's um and the way we talk and the music we listen to is like it's like super different but at, but at the same time like when when we get together you know we realize like our stories might be different but the strength that we have within ourselves to overcome like traumas, we realize it's just, it's, 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 just, it's all the same, you know? Mm. And that's what helps our, my generation and of Cambodians and other Southeast Asian communities like connect together. Mm-hmm. Speaking of connection of Cambodian people and the Filipinos, do you guys have something like this in, in the Philippines? People are obsessed to get their skin widening. Oh yes. Yes. Like, even my mom, like every time I, I go to Cambodia, my mom's like, "Hey, like she show she'll buy me like like a, like a sweatshirt." Like, mom, it's like ninety degrees out here. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I don't want you to get dark. Like, I'm already dark. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's never gonna change. I've never, I was never gonna change. But um, yeah, there's the col- colorism in, in Cambodia is is, is a big thing. Uh, but mm. I've come to learn to embrace like the dark skin. You know, uh, it, but it just for me. It, my my perspective is is what makes Cambodia unique or Southeast Asia unique. You know, it's like we we were in this like this corner this corner of Asia where we had Indians coming um, coming over, and then you had the Chinese coming over, and you know, like it's like it's like it's been a, a it's been like a, a mixed culture for such a long time. Mm. But I don't. But the, the Khmer Rouge was one of the the driving forces of colorism because it's that you're not true encore. Like encore is like you know. Of the, the golden kingdom the era of the golden kingdom of of the Khmer empire mm. um it's been ingrained into like a lot of people's heads especially you know, my parents like the Khmer rouge would say like oh if if you're not dark you're not brown you're not true on korean you know you're not true on korean um um person like you're not true Khmer. um but now you know they they take that as as a sign of like a way to differentiate people you know me being Khmer Karam but me also being dark it's like like two strikes against me already you know um, <laughs> and but, your uh, Vietnamese last name and the Vietnamese last name so like <laughs> like it's oh like I'm, I'm I'm tucked into a corner here you know but, <laughs> but you know like the, uh, when Chinese come in we have the Khmer Chen you know like Khmer Chinese you have the Tu Chou you know they um like the, the Tu Chou you know they're like Khmer Chinese they're, they're, they're more fair skinned but they're seen as like very wealthy because they're they have like like a merchant mind. They're very, mm-hmm. um, they're very 
they're very they're not cavalier with their finances they're you know they can they can manage their money so a lot of tucho families are like well off you know but um when you see like a dark brown cambodian they they identify it as oh they work in the fields they're mm-hmm. they're, they're like a lot of manual labor a lot, a lot of physical labor while um those who have like lighter skin you know are wealthy they're they're, they're seen as more beautiful you know so mm-hmm. that you know, those european beauty standards you know because of, of the french as well and the um and that kind of strife that the Khmer Rouge has, has created has kind of like made colorism a, a driving force in Cambodia, but it's also like in Thailand as well. And and how is it? How I mean, how about how about in the Philippines? Like, oh, it's bad. It's oh yeah. Like, um, it's like I don't know if it's a billion now, but I know it's million dollar uh, business. Oh, it's wow. insane. Like, if you want to be famous, you want to be an actress, you want to be something, you have to do it. Wow. They would not allow you to be like dark skinned and and you know and be an actress or a singer or whatever you like our skin we're never we're never gonna make it yeah yeah and it's so sad you know because like i have friends that are light-skinned already and they're taking pills or whatever they're taking i'm like dude did you know that there's a million dollar business in the west to get our skin yeah. the people yeah. that you're trying to be they're paying millions to be like us. Us exactly, yeah. It's 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 it's, it's a. I think it's like a. I don't know if it's a mental illness. I don't think so. But it's just like, just give yourself a perspective of oh, these people are tanning. Yep. <laughs> There's even a word for it, tanning. Yep. Yep. It's uh yeah it's it's weird how like um like Europeans or like like white folks they uh. Yeah, they they want to be they want to be like a darker skin. They, they they're not. I won't say they're they're, they're not uh, appreciative of you know of being of being pale. But I, I just think like social media plays like a huge part, and um you know and kind of like driving these like these Western beauty standards. Even my mom, you know, my mom's light skin, so um so she's fine. My 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 dad's like he's really dark, but is is just the fact that yeah is. That that same like same colorism is perpetuated, and not just in in Asia, but I feel like you know in um, South America as well, or in the mm-hmm. Caribbean. Um, and so, yeah, I have. I, I wish there was a way to kind of like squash colorism, but there it was a billion dollar industry. There's mm-hmm. no way you know it's, it's going to be hard to hard to stop. But I just wish people would be more forgiving and accepting. You know that you know even though we come from like one country, like there's going to be different. There's gonna be like nuances, you know, in in ourselves. I'm pretty sure, like in the Philippines, you have different, um, you have like different groups, you know, that they're like certain dialects, mm. or um, they speak a certain way, or they have like different different traditions based on the locale. Because then there's like thousands of islands, you know. Yeah, we have like 300 dialects, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, recorded recorded dialects, 300, but there's probably more that was never counted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we're like seven thousand islands. That's that's insane. So, and it, it's funny because where the town I grew up in, right, the next town over, the way they speak, it's we speak the same language, but there will be like you said, nuances that like, oh, this guy is from this town, right, right, and and that's like literally the next town over. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's like that in Cambodia too, where like based on locale, you know, there's there's different. There's like not not 300 dialects, but there's several dialects um, that 
it, like like you go to like northeast is like Khmer Seren. That's mm. what we call them. But it's like the southern province. It's like Khmer people who speak Khmer, but they have like a Thai twang to to the way they speak, and they, yeah. they, they adopt some some Thai words. But uh, the more you go towards like um, the north, uh, sorry, like that's northwest, but uh, to go towards the northeast of Ratanakiri, um, you have like the Tempuan, you have like these, um, they, don't, they don't practice Buddhism, they, they practice animism. Hmm. Um, they, they speak Khmer, but they have like a totally different language. Um, they don't have a writing system, but they all speak um, like Tempuan. And you go a little bit further south, like the dialects, you know, they become more um, more nuanced. And for me, being Khmer Krao, like I do, I do speak a certain way. So people know that I'm Khmer Krao, you know, um, like, so about the Bong, about the Bong dialect, I, I feel like it's the original one. This, from my opinion, it's the original, like, Khmer language, because mm. they enunciate their, their R's, like they trill their tongues a lot. Mm. You know, they, that, so, so much like, you know, that, <laughs> but, and, um, in Khmer Krao, like, even though, even though I can do it, we don't enunciate the R's at all. Mm. We we replace the R with an H. Mm. So like like Rian would be Hien, you know. But it's so weird because Hien, um, it means to learn, you know. But Rian is also means to learn. But Hien in Batamon province also means to dare someone, you know, to do something. Like Hien Aing, like you, you dare me, but we say Hien Aing, like teach me, you know, in our, you know, in our, in our dialect. So um, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, once, interesting. Once you but, like, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, it's just really interesting. Once, like the more you travel Cambodia, like and notice like these nuances, the more you're like, wow, there's so there's so much to my people that I don't know about, you know? Yeah, I, it's crazy. Like like I said in the Philippines, like you go to the next province, pretty much they speak a different language, different dialect. Talking about. Filipino and Cambodian connection again. I saw your your uh, supernatural experience uh, uh, Instagram post, bro. Those things are fire. I love them. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I my, my my first time in Cambodia, uh, I was I was in fifth grade, nineteen ninety six. It's the first time I actually had like a, a really scary paranormal encounter, and my mom she didn't tell me that she, you know she comes from a lineage of shamans, so like. <laughs> Um, so all the superstitious stuff he's, he tells me, like, you know what? I'm not going to put it past you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, I don't know if you're at the Noodle House Girl. I'm going to, I'm going to repost it because I'm, I'm redesigning some of the, the imagery for that. Um, but yeah, Noodle House Girl is my own personal experience of eating noodles, you know, at this like decrepit, dilapidated Noodle House, you know, cause it's like post-war, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started seeing a, um, a spirit. Like it wasn't malicious, but it looked scary as shit. You what, know, what kind of spirit? It was, it was a teenage girl, charred skin, like everything's like blackened. You know, like oh, so you can see her face. You like you can see her face, but it's just all black. But you mm. see like a smile. The smile is what what, what scares the crap out of me, you bro. Know? And um, and the thing is, like my mom saw it first because my mom saw it behind me, and she told me not to look back. And we paid for our meal. We we escaped. We left. But the thing was, when I looked back from the from the um the van the i saw I, I saw her and i almost pissed my pants my mom's like i told you not to look <laughs> you know <laughs> like she slapped me and told me i told you not to look um but this is when we went back to um this like um this hotel that we were staying like my mom had like this purple purple bag full of like just buddhist trinkets that i've never seen hmm. and she started chanting and like because you know when we go to like the temple um uh, we go to like a, a Khmer temple. They have like these set 
uh, chant that they do for particular events. Hmm. My mom started chanting in a way where it's like, I don't recognize any of this. It just sounds, <laughs> it, it sounds so foreign to me. It sounds so alien, you know? <laughs> and when she, when she took out this one particular, um, it's like a, it's like a gold seahorn or like a seashell. And she started chanting over it, chanting like on top of it, it amplified the room even louder. Like, just, like her, her voice just echoed like 10 times. I'm like, hmm. what is this? like spiritual kung fu you know <laughs> and but my mom like she kept me on in a bed she was right there and she put out these like these spiritual like wards around the bed so it can touch us but if my mom didn't know what she knew i probably would have either been possessed or like i, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't make it back but what happened um was apparently during the it, like the particular nude shop fell in hard times so the so the um the owner the cook actually like murdered his own daughter and used her organs as ingredients and that's why mm. we we ate a part of her and that's why we were able to see her because she, she was attached to us and so how we got rid of her is my mom went to the store and bought x-lex so we crapped everything out oh crap everything that we ate and i just felt so much lighter and my mom it would yeah i love my mom to death if it wasn't for my mom like i've i would have gone crazy already you know but <laughs> um that's the story I tell to tell people during Halloween mm. every year because it was is it it based on it's based on my experiences and ever since then people are like you should be like oh a Cambodian horror writer like your stories are so good mm. and ever since then I started I started like during lunch or like during uh, like Mother's Day I'm like hey mom tell me another ghost story you know or tell me some some folklore tell me some mm. something supernatural mm. and ever since then I started like crafting these stories based on what my mom has seen like some of the local stories and talking to other Cambodians and so um yeah I never knew I never knew they would be this popular you know because uh I, I piloted um I piloted last year and all of a sudden I started getting messages like we're gonna make another ghost story it was like <laughs> Like wow, is it that good? So hopefully next is uh, making a short film. That's like my next uh, my next project. Oh, I can't wait! I love that. I don't know how to pronounce it. App A H P. Ah uh, yes, the app. That's 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 the the most favorite the most favorite uh, ghost spirit amongst the Cambodians. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have the same thing. It's called Mananangal. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. different because explain your app to the people. Yeah, so an app is pretty much is typically female. And it's a a witch, someone who, pra who, pra who practices magic, like Cambodian black magic. And sometimes they want to practice something that's way too strong for them. Therefore, that that spell backfires on them, mm -hmm. and they become an op. Like they, that, that curse comes 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 onto them. And um, that's that's one way that the uh, op op happens. Another way is. The person who wants more magical power, they make a pact with a demon or a malicious spirit, um, and the spirit allows them to borrow their powers. But in trade, that the demon is able to control them at night, and that's how like the op becomes um, becomes prevalent in, in that situation. But they're pretty much known regular regular girl. She can be like most beautiful woman you've ever seen um, in the you know in the daytime, but at night. She she finds a, a spot where you, you cannot find her. Head just comes off all the entrails, the spine, you see it, and she just floats around amidst this green luminance. And she looks around. Um she she goes around scavenging for like feces, fetuses, anything that's like just like rotten flesh, rotten meat, um, just to sustain uh, her magical powers. And by dawn, you know, she comes back, 
Rita touches and regular regular girl is almost exactly like that our thing uh-huh. the manananggal but for us it was so pretty much the same backstory the only difference is the physical part so mm. for us the manananggal is she will detach her half of her torso the oh. top and the bottom those mm. separates and then she'll have a like a bat like wing mm-hmm. and of course of course her face is like you know scary demon and then what she does is she will go to, around the forest. Usually she hunts men, mm. like single man, and will just eat that person like a vampire. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty much the same thing. Or sometimes they say she will look for a pregnant woman. Yes, and she'll, yes. she'll go on top of the roof and find a hole and somehow slither her tongue and eat the fetus through that way. Yeah, yeah. That uh, the, the fetus, the, that way is, is similar to in, in, in Cambodian culture. Um, that's why... That's why when like when um someone was pregnant, they just gave birth. Like the um the midwife would take the placenta and bury it somewhere deep, so that the op can't find it. You know, because that just oh. gives them it, um like a fetus in in Khmer Black Magic is like the most strongest source of power, hmm. um in in Khmer superstitions. So there's something called a konkroik, which means um like it's pretty much like a dry 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 child, hmm. and pretty much even even in the Khmer the Khmer Rouge. They would find a you know a female like shaman or a witch doctor to find like dry like fetuses, dry them up, turn them into amulets, and it's, it's supposed to give you like like these magical powers. And apparently, just one person forgot his name, but yeah, it, it gave him the power to like steal two two statues from a particular temple. So like just keeping his hotel for good luck. It's really weird, but um, I don't know. I don't know in in, in the Philippines if like fetus like you know fetus have like some sort of like like um like powerful like uh actually like you know great power you know mm. i don't know about that one but us we're, we're mostly like amulets made of metal that has like prayers and stuff mm. and we also have this thing it's called the sinukuan so sinukuan is come from a tree balete tree it's look like um it's like tree with a lot of branches Okay, and yeah. it's a it's like um, it's a uh, predatory tree. So the the idea is you have to find that tree, and you have to find a two trees that is bowing towards it. Okay. So and then the the witch doctors and the shamans will go cut that tree, the balete tree, and they'll burn it. And whatever is left, that's what they use for amulets. Oh wow! Yeah. I'd look that up. I'm I'm so I'm so interested in like Southeast Asian like scary stories. They're, they're like some of the most scary things compared to like the West. <laughs> I know, man. The shit that we like the thing that I, I have so much ghost stories. I don't even tell my kids. I'm like I'm not telling you my stories because it will fuck you up. Yeah, Wait till when you they're get older. older, probably. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but going back to your art, man. Like I I love your style, man. Do you? How do you make it? Like, do you draw it? Do you use Adobe? How do you make it? So you'll you'll, you'll be shocked, but uh, yeah, I, I use AI. Mm. It's um, I mean, I, I'm 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 able to create some of these things. So how how that came to be this particular art is um, I hired someone to create my horror illustrations for my scary stories, mm-hmm. and I paid them like seventy five dollars to a hundred bucks per illustration, and then I realized that I was being ripped off because you're using AI to produce these images. No. And, and so um, so I waste like 700 bucks on this guy. 
<laughs> and I, I found Mid Journey, and I was just playing around with it, you know. And it's like, oh wow! So you can just type whatever you want, and it'll produce an image for you, you know. Um, but my style is different because I'm, I'm a photographer as well. So I'll take some of the, uh, the photographs that I have existing, and I would upload it, and it would learn from the, the AI would learn from that model. Well, we'll reference that picture, learn from it, and I would combine it with other photos of mine and then add some sort of elements to it. So that's why I get like these really photorealistic um, like renderings is because of uh, I, I use some of my photography work as a, a learning model for the, that particular AI. But yeah, I went through a creative block during that time. And so I just I started realizing, you know, there's like this empty, empty spot this empty period of time where Khmer art didn't exist because of the Khmer Rouge. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder like Khmer artists survived, you know, of our singers survive if our film, you know, our directors or you know, cinematographers survived, like what would Khmer art look like? Or what, how if the Khmer Rouge never came to power, like how would Cambodia like perceive or how would they create art or how would, you know, they create fashion. And so I just went down this rabbit hole of just like typing, like, Oh, Khmer Apsara gown designed by Alexander McQueen. It's like, yo, this looks wild, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, but the thing is, like, AI isn't perfect. So I would, like, sometimes the hands would be rendered wrong. So I'll take, actually, I'll Photoshop my hands from my, my subjects from my photography and put it over there. Or I would add, like, text because it can render text. So I still use my design, my design chops to kind of, like, make it the way I want to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like, there'll be four images. One has one good part, and I'll combine all the all the good parts of that four to create another image. So, um, but people enjoy it. Like when I heard people like, "This reminds me of home." This I, I want to go back. I want to go home so much. Or like I'm so I feel so rooted to my client identity because of your work. So like you know what I I I don't want to stop. You know. Mm. Um, but the way I write my prompts, my art history background is, is one of the reasons why I'm able to kind of like. Uh, kind of produce that style I want to. Like Alphonse Muka was one of my favorite illustrators. So I, I would use, I would be like, um, I would type, you know, my, and, and even even machine learning is, is is very biased. You just type in beautiful Khmer woman, it's always a light skin. Light skin Khmer <laughs> woman. So I just put brown skin, light, you know, brown skin, beautiful Khmer woman in Apsara gown um, with ornate crown um in royal cambodian regalia like uh illustrated by alphonse muka to get that particular style i try mm -hmm. not to use styles of artists living now but um i try to use artists like styles of um like painters in the 1800s like who are, who are long passed away mm -hmm. because I, re I respect artists you know and if i'm able to hire an illustrator for that particular style i would do that because ai i don't know ai has like this I don't know. I, I have moral, more values when it comes to like creating art and using AI. That's why in on, on my posts, I would write, yeah, I use AI to create this. I'm just letting you know. And when I say that, I want to let people know that you can do it too, you know, if you're mm -hmm. really interested. And I see a lot of um, Filipino Instagrammers who are using AI to recreate these mythological, you know, um, um, characters from the uh, Philippines, like demons, spirits, you know, gods and goddesses. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that kind of purported me to do the same thing, you know, that I want to do for Cambodian mm. culture too. And so, so yeah, so my, my photo, my, my photography came from me working at GQ because I would uh, just shadow the photographers and see what they do, see see their lighting. And I would just replicate it at home. Mm. 
Um, but my illustrations, it takes a, it takes a long time to to create them. But the fact that I can produce images in like twenty seconds, I kind of like. Mm, I don't want to illustrate right now because you know, <laughs> but I'm 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 able to if I want to. And my my design background, I'm able to create titles or uh, present it in a way that you know is easily digestible and very like um, very artistic. You know, for for a user to say, oh, like you know, there's like a there's like a story to this, or like the way he ordered you know all of his images. There's like, there's like purpose to it. So, mm-hmm. um, but. A lot of people, a lot of people, I, I encourage a lot of Cambodian kids to, to use AI as a way to reference particular things. Um, cause it's helping me like get into apparel. Like I want to design some of the, the clothes that I've created through AI, like some of the stuff that it, it produced. And so it's giving me a lot of ideas of what I want to make uh, in the future. But, um, for this particular project, all of it's done in AI only because people, they demand it as much as I say, Hey, look, it's AI. You can do it too. Like I don't care. I, I want to buy your prints. I'm like, all <laughs> right. I I, I I let them know. So mm. I'll um I'll I'll keep I keep producing it. But I more into the, the videography. Um, oh, I just started doing video like last year, and it's become like something I've always wanted to do. And so I'm also working on a video podcast of just sharing Cambodian stories because when I went to Long Beach, um, people don't know anything about Atlanta Cambodians or they didn't, they didn't know we existed. Like there's Cambodians in Atlanta. Like what? <laughs> like, yeah, we, we have a, we have a budding community here for sure. Mm. So um, I do, I just want to share like uh, stories of being a Cambodian in Atlanta with, you know, but pretty much like the Cambodian uh, diaspora around the United States that are from Atlanta. So I'm trying to do like a video podcast and, and try to combine that too. But, um, but yeah. Um, that artwork, yeah, it's all AI. It's all AI driven, but I, I'm able to reference some of my photos and my past illustrations to drive those mm. particular images. And so you you mentioned Mid Journey. You just have to type it in there. Is it free or? Yeah, it's um, it's free. So Discord is like a gamer version of Slack, and it so Mid Journey exists through Discord. So you um, you go through your channel. You create a, a, a conversation with the mid journey bot and you type forward slash imagine and type whatever you want really? and it will, and it will produce an image for you. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I encourage some of my, uh, Cam- Cambodian artisans that are my friends to use it. One of them, one of them's, um, she makes a lot of jewelry. So she's been using it to kind of like inspire her next jewelry designs. So it's uh, in a way we, we, we're using it as a tool, but we're not, you know, it's not going to like over, over over in- encompass our actual body of work. Mm-hmm. You still have that sock I saw, you know? Yes. I, I cannot take that away. Uh, um, I think that's why people are drawn to my Instagram because I do have like a personality or like I I do a little bit of, I don't say comedy, but I, I do a lot of humor, like humor content to kind of like get people back into the mood. But, you know, also my scary stories and my photography as well. So a lot of people come to my Instagram for particular like a lot of like specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it all has a touch of my, you know, my love in there. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, like going through your Instagram is like looking at like a evolution of an artist. Absolutely. Yes. It, I just, just the amount of growth because before, before my reimagination series, I was at like, like three, 3000 followers. And just just within the last month, it's it rose to like seven point four thousand. So <laughs> it's just it's just it's just crazy to see how much uh, people have been like re- 
you know how receptive they are to the that particular series that i'm working on so um people want it so i'm gonna keep doing it mm-hmm. you should not stop man i love it i love it listen before we close out i want to ask you last one more question absolutely what's your message to people that are trying to get in touch with their heritage and their roots maybe by kamei or whatever else um it's never too late to start. I, I understand some some kids, you know, they're reluctant to get into it or they've had a lot of toxic trauma that's been dealt to them by their own culture. It's, too, it's never too late to start and just know that this is your journey, your journey alone. You can have whoever you want to be a part of this journey, you know, whoever makes you comfortable, you know, whoever makes you safe, whoever, you know, you look up to uh, that are f- of your particular culture. And yeah, like... Detach yourself away from the local community and just hop on Instagram. There's so many like amazing Khmer folks, Southeast Asian folks who are doing some amazing things, who are going through the same like, um, you know, trials and tribulations as, as you and don't, um, and at the same time, don't give up and just, just keep doing, you know, don't, don't talk about it. Just, just, just do it. And once you start doing it, you start noticing, you know, what you're doing wrong, you know, make, you know, you're, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, uh, you know, learn from them. And over time, your success rate is going to get bigger and bigger. And I don't know if you'll, you start discovering stuff about Khmer culture, in my my case, Khmer culture that I never, never saw or never even considered to be Khmer culture. And it's like, it's such a a beautiful thing. Hmm. Wise word from a wise man. Again, Bong Sakai, Akon so much. Thank you so much. Uh, No, thank you. Thank you for having me on here. It's been such a pleasure. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you so much. Bye. Again, Bong Sokai, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa from Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.